Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Strahda Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and delivery only through our website blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Just listening to column on the sports news there, isn't that great to hear? Graeme Garrity is part of Bernard Flynn's Meath Under-20 management team and it's a, a real sign that Graeme has made fantastic progress uh, since that serious, serious health issue he faced uh, late last year. But it's great to hear that uh, Bernard has named him as part of the team and he, he's a great uh, management team there, I have to say, and Graeme part of it. Good to hear. Welcome to the show uh, this Tuesday afternoon. You know, I knew we were on the money on late lunch. Remember I uh, dug out I found the albums in the attic last year and started to play them on the deck in studio. Well, it's a real sign of the times because vinyl sales have outstripped CDs in Ireland for the first time in a long time last year. We're going to be talking about it on the show today to Neil Waters from Classified Records in Dundalk. Tony Connell's here too with his first motoring feature of the year. Remember or do you recall? Do you know what I'm talking about? An MGB GT. Do you remember that car? I remember it well. I'd still love to have one, to be honest with you. Anyway, we're talking uh, to Tony and Paul Linders from the Linders Group today about MG cars. They're moving down the electric road. Tony will be with us a little bit later on. If you want to get in touch on the show, don't forget the usual numbers 086 658 You can WhatsApp or text me. Or if you want to call in, it's 1850 Now, as has been our want for months now, we're nearly coming to the anniversary. We've been talking to my first guest since late March, early April last year, and he's back with us again today. Yes, I don't have to tell you that the COVID is at its most critical phase ever in the country, even from the first wave, with hospitals really pushed for capacity, ICUs filling up, and uh, no sign of the numbers coming down as yet, despite the fact that we're in this severe lockdown. But vaccines are on the way, which is the positive. I'm delighted to say hello again today on Late Lunch to the head of the Department of Biology, Director of Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University, Professor Paul Moyne. Afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for joining me again, Paul. This is the question that many people have been asking me by phone in uh, recent days, friends and colleagues, etc. How have we gone from best in class in the world to the fella or the the lassie that's put outside the door? Probably a few reasons, I would say, that sort of combined together and you've almost ended up with the perfect storm. So one is obviously, you know, in terms of opening up and the increased socialisation around Christmas people interacting more and you know the the average number of contacts I think went from three up to five which is a big big change um the other thing I mentioned before you know I think it's the time of year as well I think that's a major contributing factor that the viruses spread better at this time of year and then I think there's a meaningful contribution as well from the UK variant I think it's 
throughout now, wherever country it's managed to get a foothold in, it's certainly gained prominence. So it seems to transmit better than other variants. I think all three of them have come together, as I said, to create this perfect storm-like condition. And we've ended up with a situation where, you know, numbers are going vertically. Now, over the last number of days, last week, I think in terms of case number positivity rate, I think that has begun, begun to level off, maybe slightly decrease. Unfortunately, the hospitalizations and ICUs, they're built in and there's a lag associated with them from case identification. So it's usually a couple of weeks. So unfortunately, the high numbers that we saw in the last couple of weeks, they will sadly translate into more hospitalizations, more ICUs and sadly more deaths. So while it has the case number has begun to level off and drop off, the next couple of weeks are going to be really, really tough from, from a hospital perspective, especially. I get the impression, honestly, this time round, and I know in this house here, uh, I can tell you there's been nobody here for the last 10 days or so, nobody. And I get the impression from a lot of people that, that people are really knuckling down. But what are you feeling? I think it's similar to the start of the the first lockdown. I think back in March, you know, we were seeing these scenes from from Italy and you know, we were really, really scared. And I think that really focused our attention and everybody genuinely were really, really concerned and worried. I think it's similar now, similar in the sense that the numbers have been so high, but now people can see each night the rate of increase, the hospitalizations, especially the hospitalizations and the ICUs, and they're increasing rapidly. And you're looking now to go into storage capacity and possibly beyond in terms of using private hospitals. So I think that really brings it home and it's a reality check in terms of that this, this is a very serious virus. Are you confident that with the private hospital capacity and of course I don't know whether City West is still there, that overflow option as well, will we cope Paul? Will will will, will nobody be turned away? Yeah, hopefully Jerry. And as I said, the numbers have begun so we can get over the next couple of weeks, hopefully then you should begin to see hospitalizations and ICUs uh, dropping off as well, at least admissions uh, to them. Obviously, it takes some time then for for uh, that to, to work itself through. So hopefully uh, that won't be a problem, but it does depend on us keeping on this sort of plateauing or, or better uh, downward trend. And I'd, I'd be confident in terms of, as you said, people now are really buckling down and taking this very seriously. And I think that with that, that, that will help us a lot in terms of getting things under control again. Pfizer-BioNTech is being administered as we speak. Moderna is on the way imminently, I think, tomorrow, the second vaccine which has been approved. But the one I want to talk to you about is the Oxford AstraZeneca, because this is being used and approved in the UK and it's been rolled out extensively. Is it not time for us here in Ireland, this is an emergency with the highest in the world now, just to approve it ourselves here, Paul. Don't wait for the European Union. It takes them quite a bit of time. Approve it and buy it and get it moving here in this country. Because, Paul, this will be the game changer because it doesn't have to be stored at the low temperatures. You could see it being rolled out through GPs, pharmacies and vaccination hubs. Yeah, it's certainly more convenient in terms of supply, in terms of storage. So, and certainly in terms of where it can be administered. Yeah, there's a lot more flexibility. I think some of that is due to the fact that, and I think only today, earlier today, um, AstraZeneca have actually put in an application to the European Medicines Agency. So that is good news. So it really depends on 
the company putting an application into the European Medicines Agency. And I think when you look at Europe as a whole, and Pfizer did something similar, they initially applied to the UK, but the UK, through Brexit, then, no longer part of the EU. So they would have had to look for individual authorization anyway within the UK. Uh, whereas when they look at Europe, they look at the 27 block um, EU, and they basically apply to the EMA and get approval for that entire block. And I think that's what has happened here. But I think, Jerry, you'll see very quickly, you'll see that vaccine being approved by EMA and for distribution then around Europe. And that that will make a big difference um, in terms of numbers and in terms of the level of vaccination, because this is the one tool we have in our armory that will help us in a very significant way in terms of protecting, especially protecting those most vulnerable. So we need to vaccinate. We need to vaccinate as quickly as possible. And as vaccines come into the country, they need to be distributed in a really, really efficient manner. And this is the one. This is obviously the one, Paul, that can go, as I said, through GPs, pharmacies, and I I expect they will establish vaccination hubs at key uh, locations around the country as well. Is there any difference, do you know, between the Pfizer, uh, the Moderna and the Oxford AstraZeneca in terms of, uh, you know, giving protection? Are they all in and around the same? They're similar. They're similar. So, first of all, sorry for your listeners, they're they're, they're a little bit different in terms of what they're made up of. So the Moderna and the Pfizer ones, they're RNA vaccines. So you just take a little piece of the genetic material from the virus, the piece of RNA that makes that spike protein that's on the surface of the virus. So that's what you get when you get these vaccines. You just get that piece of RNA that'll make that single protein and then your immune system takes off. And that's just that RNA for the Moderna and the Pfizer one is just put inside a capsule of fat. Whereas with the AstraZeneca one, Oxford one, is a little bit different. Again, they take that genetic material that would make this protein, but they put it inside another virus. It's actually a chimpanzee virus that causes cold. And it's been engineered in such a way that it doesn't replicate, you know, when it gets inside your cells. Uh, so so different in terms of what they're made up of and their, their constitution. In terms of their efficacy, the Pfizer uh, and the Moderna ones are very efficacious. So like above 90%. With the AstraZeneca Oxford one, and this has probably delayed the approval a little bit and the collation of all of the data, there were two big trials done for this, one in Brazil and one in the UK. And what happened by, there was a mistake made for the first dose in the UK where people were given half the intended dose. And then for the second administration, they were given the full dose, whereas in Brazil, they were given both first and second dose were the full doses. When given two full doses, the efficacy was around, you know, in the 60, 65%, whereas the half those full doses seemed to give an efficacy in the 90, 90% or above, which would be similar to the Pfizer Moderna one. So it'll be interesting to see when it's, when it's evaluated by the EMA and if it gets approval, will it get approval for the half dose full dose or the full dose? full dose. And the reason why there was probably a little bit of reluctance with respect to the half dose, full dose, was the numbers there in the trials were much smaller than for the full dose, full dose. So again, it'd be interesting to see how that's evaluated, but there's no um, getting away from the fact that it is a very efficacious vaccine as well. We started from the perspective that the regulators indicated that they would require at least 50% efficacy in all of the vaccines so far are way ahead of that. So you've uh, spoken to me uh, most weeks now about this and and trying to project when, you know, vaccines will become widely available after the key 
personnel in this country and the most vulnerable people are vaccinated. If you were sitting where you are today and awaiting approval of the Oxford AstraZeneca, what are you thinking now, Paul? Will it be autumn time before we see uh, a widely available vaccine? Surely we can do it more quickly. Yeah, I think we need that. We need to do it more quickly, to be honest, Jerry. You know, some countries, OK, they've had priority access to the vaccines, like Israel, for example. So they did their own individual deals very early, obviously cost more. But again, they're the situation where they're hoping to vaccinate. Most of the people who are eligible for a vaccine would probably have it by the end of March. So some countries are way, way ahead. Some poorer income countries, and this is sort of a like a moral question as well, uh, Jerry aren't getting any vaccines at the moment you know so we're certainly not the worst in class but we do need to get as much as possible and roll them out as much as possible with respect to time frame I think you're probably looking the most challenging time I think is going to be up until around April time I think you may see a natural waning of the virus you know as you get into the late spring early summer months so that will give us a number of months you know over the summer to really roll it out and we really need the vaccination to be completely rolled out by September, October, in my view. But really, I think we need to look at the moment and ask questions in terms of the available vaccine that's there at the moment. How do we use that most efficiently? And I think we need to begin to look at questions, for example, like it's now, well, a really nice paper was published last week showing that if you've been previously infected by the virus, you've really good protection against the virus for at least eight, nine months. So with the growing numbers now, we probably have a significant proportion of the population that has already been exposed to the virus. And in my view, probably those cases don't need to be prioritised for the vaccine. And it probably should be prioritised for those who have been infected and are at the higher risk groups. And I think that would increase the efficiency of the rollout. In the UK, they've also you know, made slight changes, for example, in terms of prolonging the duration between the first and the second dose. Now, there are some risks associated with that because you don't know how long the protection lasts for with the first dose. But there are some of the questions I think we need to look at in terms of using what we have, the limited supply we have at the moment, and getting the maximum effect from that. And just back to uh, Oxford AstraZeneca again, would it be fair to say if that gets approval, uh, the mass vaccination programme should then kick in quite efficiently and quite quickly? Oh, I think so, Terry, because as, as you've and you've rightly pointed out, there's more flexibility around in terms of where you administer this. Um, probably you, you don't require the same length of time in terms of assessing when an individual has been vaccinated with the other vaccines, you tend to have to wait five, ten minutes. And if you've been, you know, previously experienced allergic reactions, probably up to half an hour. And that does slow up the process. Whereas with the AstraZeneca Oxford one, that probably won't apply. Um, greater variety in terms of like using GPs, pharmacies, max vaccination centres. So I think from a logistical an infrastructure point of view, that'll be much easier to roll out and hopefully we'll get to the stage where in a short number of months we'll be vaccinating at very, very significant levels. And in the interim, Paul, and going forward, hands, face, space, as I say and repeated many times here, those precautions will remain and will have to remain. They will, Jerry, in the meantime, yeah. And I, I've always thought that irrespective of what level the restrictions are in, two most important things are, you know, our own personal behaviour, that's one, but also in terms of, and we are intelligent people in terms of evaluating, you know, the level of risk in environments that you're in. So if you go into an environment and get you evaluate a risk, and if you evaluate that this doesn't feel safe, this isn't safe, 
well, maybe you should leave where, where that, that place is. So it's sort of your own personal behaviour and trying to evaluate risk and minimise your exposure to that risk. So it's all about risk uh, management. And then, obviously, with the help of the vaccines over time, that's going to be of enormous benefit as well. Just a final question, and it's off uh, It's off script here. Um, Luke O'Neill showed us his prowess over the holiday season in uh, terms of music and his musical talent. Uh, Paul, are you, are, you, um, are you keeping something from us? Do you have a... No, no, uh, I- I'm very envious of Luke. I, I, I had good chats with Luke over the Christmas period, so I know Luke. Luke's a very good friend, and uh, so I've witnessed him uh, prior to the pandemic. I've witnessed him many times, sort of in, in person, uh, doing his thing, whether it be fronting uh, his rock group or playing piano or whatever. Uh, so now he's a, ma- a man of many, many, many talents. Area, and unfortunately, I can't uh, reach those those levels. <laughs> there's still time Paul it's never too late anyway look you're great I thank you again for joining us this afternoon I'm sure as I say always we'll be speaking again in in a week's time Paul thanks a million you're very welcome Jerry anytime take care that's Professor Paul Moynard there from Maynooth University where he's the head of the Department of Biology and Director of the Human Health Research Institute he's a great guy he really is well there you are that's uh, the latest from Paul but I do I I want to just say that again because uh, I honestly feel that the Oxford uh, AstraZeneca one is the one that will enable us really uh, get back to uh, a form of normality or as near to normal as we possibly can. It will take time, but it is the one that can be rolled out more quickly. And I, I say that again, I know they're waiting for the European Union, but sometimes, and I know it is, it's a big health issue and it has to be 100% right, but still, uh, they've been injecting away with it in uh, the UK now for a number of weeks and that programme is rattling on there, huge numbers being vaccinated and it's something really We've got to get the grips with here quickly because the quicker we do, the faster we'll have everybody back at school. Uh, people will be safe caring for people in all the health sectors. And as well as that, the economy, we can start to open up the economy again, which, of course, is very important. If you have anything to say to me on late lunch this afternoon, if you have a comment, an opinion, I always love to hear from you. Don't forget the usual numbers. You can text or WhatsApp me to 86 086- 1800-658, that's 086-1800-658. Or if you want to call in, it's 1850-715-958. Daniel Lynch, you're a great fella. Just got a message from Daniel. He lives in Beliver in County Mead. And he said, Jerry, I just want to tell you, I'm doing a dog walk, 100k for Dog Trust Ireland. People can send me donations if they would like. It would be great. You can find me on my Facebook page. Daniel Lynch. Check them out, Facebook, Beliver, 100k for Dogs Trust. Great fella. Well done to you. Wish you well with it. Check him out on Facebook there. If you can give him a few euro, he really would appreciate it. And so would Dogs Trust as well. They do great work and, of course, funding at this time. A big challenge for all charities. Now, today, I want to say hello to a man called Sean O'Dowd. He lives in Highfield in Drogheda. And the reason I mentioned Sean today He's recently celebrated a wonderful birthday. He was 99, a year short of the century, 99 years young. And I am told by his friends, he's hale and hearty. He's a great fella and he's so positive. He really is. Well, Sean, 99 years. My word, have you seen a lot in your lifetime? I wish you the happiest of birthdays and many years of health and happiness. And all your friends and family do too. And Sean, I know you love this one. Just for you. Here she is. Have a listen. 
Yeah, Mary Hopkins there and those were the days from 1968. It was her debut single. And listen to this. Do you know who it was produced by? None other than Paul McCartney of the Beatles. He produced that song and it became a big number one hit in the UK. And I was just looking almost all over the world. It was number two in three countries, but every other chart. It was number one in the world, including Ireland here, but went to number two in America, which was huge at the time to make that number two spot and number two in Austria and Australia. But every other country in the world, that song made number one. Isn't that amazing? And the one that kept it off uh, number one in America was ironically a Beatles song called Hey Jude. Ah, that was some song as well. There you are. And that uh, song is especially for Sean O'Dowd from Highfield and Drogheda, who celebrated his 99th birthday recently and that is a lovely song there mary hopkins for sean this afternoon i know he loves that song was reading um earlier on uh, something interesting about us irish people did you know that seven out of ten irish people live in houses too large for their needs does that surprise you doesn't surprise me but it's all right talking about that stat and in the context of housing How do you shift that statistic? Do you ask somebody who's lived in a house their lifetime that they love and they have memories from to move out? Do you ask them to bring people in to live with them? Not a a thing for everybody, for for, for probably the majority of people. But there you are, seven out of ten of us live in homes too large for our needs. I'd love to hear the solution to that problem, or is there one, or how could it be worked to shift people to smaller homes and get people into homes that have more space? Interesting. It's a conundrum, really. I don't have the answer. I wonder, does anybody have you an opinion? If you have an opinion on anything, do give me a shout on the show. 086-1800-658, WhatsApp or text me. Now, coming up after news and weather at two o'clock, we are awaiting the publication of the Mother and Baby Homes report. It will be published today, could be published by the time we come back, but it will be issued today. The families have been briefed on it. And after two o'clock on late lunch, we hear firsthand from somebody whose father worked at the the uh, mother and baby home in Stimullen. Anne's been on to us from Dundalk this afternoon. Lovely to hear from you. Jerry. I really enjoy listening to Paul Moyna on your programme every week. He's so down to earth and he has a fantastic loud accent. And of course, Luke O'Neill, another great man too, says Anne. Thank you indeed for that. Uh, hello, Jerry. I don't want to be named, but I was out for a walk on Sunday afternoon and I couldn't believe at a local petrol station in Trim, they'd opened an ice cream hut. And the queue was literally half a mile long. Now, who is wrong there, Jerry? No social distancing whatsoever. Ice cream in January. I know people want a lift, but that can't be right, can it? Queues and people close together. That's just the wrong side of things, totally. And people might have been well-meaning, or maybe they just want to make a fast buck. Maybe I've been too... Easy on them there. But look, no, 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 that shouldn't be. Trim last Sunday, ice cream queues all over the place. Come on. Let's all knuckle down at this time. I was saying it earlier on. I feel most people are, but that flies in the face of it. It really does. Now, it's all over the news and we're just waiting for news of the publication of the Mother and Baby Homes report. And there were two homes in this neck of the woods, in Dunboyne and Stamullen. We're going back on late lunch now to the 7th of March 2017. I wasn't in the hot seat, 
but Deirdre Hurley was. And on that day, news had been breaking about the tomb babies, which led to all of this. And Deirdre spoke to Seamus Riley Jr. He is from Stamullen in uh, County Mead. And his father, Seamus Sr., was the caretaker at Stamullen. And I want to go back to that interview now on late lunch. And here's Seamus Jr. with his early recollections. When I was growing up and my father, he was the boss in the convent and every so often he used to have to go and uh, bury an, a child in the graveyard in Stamullen. The nuns had a graveyard for themselves in the convent, but when that child would be buried, there was neither priest nor nun attended the burial. And I used to think that very sad. Mm-hmm. What age were you, Seamus, at the time? You were Your father worked there for most of his, his adult working life, but what age were you? I suppose I'd be six or seven years of age, and up, upwards then. Uh, the burials went on on a continual basis, I can remember, for about ten years. You were present at some of the burials? Yes, and it would be just my father and one of the other walkers. They'd go and dig the, the grave, and uh, just put the infant in and my father used to say a few prayers and that was the end of that child. Mm-hmm. No recognition on the coffin or anything. There, there were coffins in this case, Seamus? Yes, uh, a gentleman that was a carpenter there. <clears throat> he was a Church of Ireland man. Uh, Sammy Mitchell was, God be good to him. He's buried in Julianstown uh, Cemetery, the Church of Ireland Cemetery there. And... Uh, he meticulously made those coffins. He went beyond the bounds to make them for the children, even though he was Church of Ireland. And the children that would have been buried would have been Catholics, or supposed to be Catholics. Were they baptised? or? Yes, because my father, I don't know how many, he, he was godfather for. When the children would arrive, they would be christened, but they would be christened and given a different name. At the time, um, Seamus, because obviously you're seeing you were seeing it through very young eyes. Were you upset by it? Did you understand it at the time, or is it now? With, I suppose, in hindsight, you understand it a bit better. Well, in hindsight, now I understand, but I couldn't understand why there was neither priest nor nun present. You know, a religious person to see that child off into the next world, or if there is, or whatever. You know what I mean. And I used to say, I used to kind of look around to see was there a nun or a priest coming before the infant would be put into the into the grave. These graves, Seamus, they're not marked singly. We're talking about no, no, no. There was often an occasion there could be two burials on the same day, and they would be just put down side by side and just covered over and left. But I think it was through the the goodness of one gentleman there from Stamullen that kind of got this highlighted and got a plaque put up in memory of him, of the children, uh, Brendan White, because he, he was very concerned. And I think it was through his goodness and his efforts that that plaque was placed where those children are buried at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that plaque is in memory of children who were buried, or infants, um, from St. Joseph's Baby Home in Stimullen, who were buried there between 1955 right up till 1987. So we're talking quite recent yes. recent history, um, yeah. Seamus. 1955 was the year I was born, you know what I mean? 
So my father wasn't long in employment in the convent at that stage. I'd say it could be about 12 months. But it was always an ambition of his to get those children recognised in some way or other. Your father would have helped to dig the graves and prepare oh, them. Yes, he, always, he was the man that always had to do that. Mm-hmm. Speaking to me earlier, you mentioned memories of travelling to the airport, Seamus. Yes, we used to, the odd time he'd have a run to the airport and there would be a nun in the back with an infant. And that time you could drive out on to the runway on Dublin Airport and somebody would step off a plane or a couple, a young couple, and the child would be handed over to the couple and the nun would come back and get into the car and we'd head back for Stamullen then. And did you understand what that was at the time? Did you talk about it with your father? or was Yes, he said that most of the children were going to America. And in my belief, uh, now this is my belief, I think that the, the nuns were actually selling the babies to the Americans. Okay, and well, we can't obviously um, confirm that, I, that information, yeah, I know, yes. but that's what, that's what you believe. Yeah. Um, there were... Um, the, obviously, the nuns there running the home, but there, there were there were women that worked there. There were nurses at the home. What are your other memories of the home itself, um, Seamus, f- from being around it all the time? Aside from the burials, uh, it was a very strict place for the staff. You know what I mean? They were under very strict rules and conditions, and they had to be in at a certain time, and meals were always at a certain time, and. They weren't allowed out. They were allowed out in groups, but no other way. What about the mothers? Were you ever aware no, that the mothers... No, no, I'm not... I couldn't swear that the, the mothers gave birth or anything there, but the infants, some of them would be... I often passed through the wards with my father. He might have to go in to do a job or something, and you'd see them, you'd know that they'd be only days old in their big cuts. What do you make of the the tomb baby story has been in the reckoning now for years at this stage, Seamus, but we have had confirmation, you know, at the weekend about about numbers there. And I suppose in a way it's a mass grave. What else can you call it? What did that bring back for you in terms of what you saw? Did it put a new sense of understanding on what you witnessed as a child? It brought to light that, uh, you know what I mean, that Stamullen wasn't the only place. I used to think it was the only place really that, the likes of that went on, you know what I mean? But I was, what really got me was that neither priest nor nun used to attend the burials of those poor little infants, you know what I mean? That's the and thing uh, that, that's really stuck with you? Yes. Mm. And it was sad. And it was something really that your father throughout his life, you, you mentioned a plaque or a, a memorial to those children. Um those children's names surely are recorded somewhere on a, on a certificate, a birth certificate, or possibly yes, but mm. uh, I couldn't swear by that. But uh, they, w- they were never marked on the coffins or anything like that. There was just a, a cross, a wooden cross, on the white coffin. There were always it was always a white coffin, no matter the, the child could be maybe a year and a half or whatever but it still would be a white coffin, you know what I mean? Or it could be a three or four day old baby. It would be the white coffin also, you know what I mean? 
Seamus Riley there speaking to Deirdre Hurley on late lunch on the 7th of March 2017 when the tomb story emerged first. And here we are almost four years on with the report being published into the homes around Ireland, the mother and baby homes. And when you listen to Seamus there, he was a young boy, a young lad with his father and his memories there. Shocking, aren't they? Really, really shocking. This is a, an incredibly tough day for so many people in this country. And it's another aspect of our shameful past that has been analysed now and brought into the public domain. And all you can say is that I think of, and all I want to say is I think of the people today who have been impacted, their lives impacted from their early lives because of this. And I think of them today and may they have strength as this report is published. And I sincerely hope that this is a chapter in Irish history that will be dealt with now fully from everybody's perspective and closed and will never, ever be repeated again. It was a shocking, shocking time. It really was for so many. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Tuesday afternoon. Now, after the break, let's uh, lift the spirits up here because, did you know, let me tell you the story. Yes, vinyls. Uh, you remember me playing the, yes, I said at the top of the show, the albums in the attic. I went up and dug out the vinyls. Well, you know what? Vinyl is back big time. And in 2020, the sales, well, they shot up again. After the break, we're going to be joined by Neil Waters from Classified Records in Dundalk. He's the only independent record shop remaining in the Northeast. And we have a little giveaway for you as well. Stay with us on Late Lunch. Listen to this, folks. Vinyl has overtaken CD as the biggest selling physical format for music in Ireland. Vinyl sales have increased tenfold over the past six years. And last year in Ireland, over 300,000 vinyls were sold, a 42% increase from 2019. I am sure, forgive the pun, that is music to the ears of Neil Waters from Classified Records in Dundalk. Afternoon, Neil. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm very good. Well, the, the, the numbers speak for themselves. Have you been feeling it in Classified? Well, not to the slow start of this year now, but uh, yeah, the figures for last year were, I suppose, uh, a little bit of skew, Jerry, because obviously shops were closed for long periods of last last year, you know. And what you had then was a burst of activity uh, retail-wise, retail therapy. And I think when everybody was in the first lockdown, they bought a little bit online or give or take here and there. But I think we opened again on the 9th of June. So we did see, a, a you know, just a, a natural rise in people wanting to be out on the street again, go out for coffee, go out for uh, the summer. And that's where the spike was. Um, I think there's trends there that are affecting the figures as well and boosting it upwards in terms of, um, younger kids, kids who are, you know, from 14 or 12, even upwards, getting into records and asking their parents for money for records. So that, that, that's played a part as well. I think records are for every age group and, and that's helping the figures uh, rise every year. Well, you see, there was something I was about to ask you because I was just thinking, sure, it's only old fogies like myself who are having pangs of their youth and coming back to this. But that's not the case, you're finding. This is good news. Not true, yeah. And it, you know what? We're here, what, this is our sixth year. So we, we saw that from day one, people getting into records. And, and every year I see new customers come in and then start buying regularly. Now, people have their own shopping habits. People buy online. 
People can go anywhere and buy records too. I'm well aware of that. But we can only judge on what we see coming in here. And, um, you know, all the time there's newbies, as we call them, um, coming to into the sort of world of records. And it's, it's your, people are always welcome. It doesn't matter when you come in. There's no, um, how would you say, there's no sort of... A, uh, a superiority sort of element yeah. to it or sort of, uh, oh, you know, sort of looking down your nose, kind of like, oh, this is our world. Or, you know, people that aren't into, you try and start talking about motorbikes or cars to someone that's really into it. They'll, they'll catch you out very quickly. So people can be into music and take it as a real love or a passion because it's a, a really organic thing to enjoy. So it's only, I think, normal that everybody of any age can love their music. Old fogies love a certain type of music, <laughs> if I can say that. <laughs> and the young kids like a certain type of music, and they couldn't be further apart, those styles of music. But it doesn't matter, because it's just music, and your ears are your ears alone. I take it the artists themselves, and more their production companies and the big names in the business, spot this as well, and uh, they're bringing out more and more on vinyl. Yeah, well, you see, there's huge changes coming, right? Um, you look at the movie market... I was looking at a, a review recently where they said that that was worth $40 billion a year to Hollywood. But the video game market, which is, again, something alien to myself, I never played video games or computer games, and I probably never will, um, is worth in the hundreds of billions. So mm. music is the same. Uh, when a big, these big, huge uh, global companies like um, Universal or Warner or Sony, the three major labels, they look at their figures and say, well... Look, guys, we're not selling as many DVDs, obviously. They're finished. CDs yeah. are practically finished because they will come back into fashion. I've been joking and saying this, but they'll come back into fashion in five years. And you could have a CD shop open and people selling just little CDs because people would have forgot what they were. Mm. Tapes would have been the same, cassette tapes, but nobody's actually producing um, tape players. Uh, VHS yes. players would be the same. There'd be a huge... Um, hipster revival on VHS tapes if someone was actually making videos, top loader videos. So Mm. we might see a change in that, but I just think with the market changing, the new internet coming um, and various other things, I'm as baffled and surprised by it as anyone um, at the sort of continuing success of records. But I think it's just down to a a natural flow of life. And people will always look at Doc Martens and think they're cool. (laughs) <laughs> you, you know, you mentioned cassettes and I just saw in the UK last year, there was 157,000 cassettes sold, which was double 2019. But at the peak of cassettes in 89, would you hazard a guess, Neil, at how many cassettes were sold in 1989? No? Oh, hundreds of thousands. Oh. Well, I'm going to tell you, do you know how many were sold? 83 million. 83 million in 1989. And of course, uh, streaming downloads now are the big thing. 125 million of those in the UK last year. But look, come back to the vinyl. On this show, uh, on the run into Christmas, I dug out some old vinyls from my attic and played them. I, I got a gift of a record player last year from my daughter. And indeed, you presented me with a Kylie album as well. And thank you very much for it. And I played it, of course. But you know what people were saying to me? I played it from the deck in the studios of LMFM. And people were commenting on the richness of the sound. I suppose there is a, yeah, depends on, on your ears and the speakers and what you hear. But there is a kind of natural it's, it's less what they call lossy, is when you have an MP3 digital file. It's a certain size, and a vinyl size or a 
tape size of what the song you're actually hearing is slightly bigger. So what you're hearing is slightly Some people hear things where people don't hear anything. So it's all down to your own ears. It's like having good or bad eyesight. Um, but records, that that's an actual scientific fact that the file that the actual song is recorded from from the master tape is actually bigger. So there's actually more frequencies in there. Mm. That's what you're there you are. Here. There's the reason for it. Now, thank you for for offering that explanation to me. Um, tell me this. What's in demand? What are the big sellers this year? People coming in looking for the classics. Yeah. I think a Fleetwood Mac, that type of thing, you know, yeah. that they're back on vinyl again. Or what, Neil? Um, well, it, it changes and it flows like a river. Um just with Sony, um, who's one of the three major labels, they uh, would have owned Columbia CBS's back catalogue. Okay, so Sony, huge company. Um, their three biggest sellers this year was the new Bob Dylan, the new Bruce Springsteen, and the Harry Styles debut album. Now, God. how do you put Harry Styles and those two old fogies in <laughs> together? But that's how it's going. And Harry Styles, who you know has the look, has a great career behind him has a hundred million in the bank, so he doesn't care what anyone says about him, and rightly so. But Harry Styles has been sort of had, um, how would you say, he'd been sort of groomed into this position by the the label, who made him record with certain people, made him wear a certain type of clothes. I think he's using some of Joni Mitchell's ex equipment now, and that record has sold really, really well. Not just with Harry Styles, is it One Direction he was in? Yeah. Yes. So even if you didn't like them, he's now tapping into a market where he's like the young David Bowie, you know, the next good looking, kind of androgynous kind of looking guy who can just sing and there's a natural flow about him. Um, And he, we couldn't keep up with the demand on his record this year. Mm. So yeah, it does does change every year. And you will always have the the classics and you'll always have these weird and wonderful artists that people get into through... Word of mouth. I mean, that's still a thing. Back in the before the internet, that's all you ever heard about music was word of mouth or buying an actual physical magazine like the NME or the Melody Maker or buying a book and studying it. Now yeah. you can, the information's slapping you over the head. You nearly have too much information. So it's great that there is still a word of mouth system in music where somebody goes, oh, do you know that guy that played bass on that album? Well, he's on this album. Oh, okay. Well, mm. you know, and it's like Spotify saying, if you like this, you love more of this. That algorithm comes from us as humans and has been sort of sold back to us on the computer now. And even on our own website, we're very, when we, which I'll talk about in a sec, Jerry, if we can, classifiedrecords.net. I mean, we, at the bottom of every product, we have four records at the bottom that are recommended listening. And that isn't a generic thing. That's something that we specifically do that even if you're in the shop here and someone said, I like Amy Winehouse. Do you have something similar? Well, we will give you three or four other options. Um, if you like yeah. this, you love more of this scenario. So mm. I think it's very important you do that. Um, we were lucky this year in that we got sort of moving quite quickly this summer on the online world because that's where everybody's been pushed and shoved now. Yes. I was listening to your ads there while I was on hold and everybody's, you know, dot .com, dot .net. Yeah, or they have to. Yeah. And you have to as well. And I yeah. want to mention it. Classifiedrecords.net. Classifiedrecords.net. Neil is there. You can go in there, place your order, and he'll get it out to you ASAP. Well, we did this. Yeah, thanks. We did this sort of system where we took two or three months to actually build the site. And it takes yeah. like half an hour to load one title onto the site because of the wealth of information we're putting with it. We've tried to recreate the actual feel and touch of a record shop online. 
So again, just going back to that, even if you look up the Johnny Cash, we have a search engine on our site, but if you're looking for it, Johnny Cash, and it will have an introductory um, piece about it. It'll have a customer review, a full track listing, multiple pictures, and all the credits and notes that are associated. It with is it. great. I was in there this morning checking it out myself. So yeah, folks, work, I'm saying it to you again. Oh, it's well worth it, and you put a lot into it, yeah. and I can see that. Classifiedrecords.net. Now, Neil has given us a little uh, prize for Late Lunch listeners today, and it is a wonderful album. It's Johnny Cash and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. It's a beautiful, beautiful album, and here's the question if you'd like to win that album. Johnny Cash recorded a song called A Boy Named what's the final word of the song title Johnny Cash song A Boy Named what complete the song title with that word get your answers in now to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text and we'll pick somebody for the album and Neil will get it out to you Neil I'll leave it there for today keep on rocking Thanks for having us on your show again, Jerry. Appreciate your support. You're very welcome. Take care of yourself. That is Neil there from Classified Records. Neil Waters in Dundalk. And here he is, the man himself. It's Cash. Just think about it. If Man United win tonight at Burnley, they're top of the league. They're clear by three points. And United fans, they never stop giving out about Solskjaer. But there you are. They'll be top tonight if they win. And while I'm on the subject of the Premier League and sport, don't forget, you can listen to live commentary of all next Saturday's Premier League matches on the LMFM app or by clicking on the Listen tab on the LMFM website. The action starts with a big Birmingham derby between Wolves and struggling West Brom. And our coverage is brought to you by Now TV, which allows you to pay for and watch only the games you want to watch. So that's uh, all coming up. Big Premier League action this weekend. Hi, Jerry. It's not an ice cream hut. It's a crepe coffee takeaway hut. Now, a listener was on to me earlier on complaining about the queues for ice cream in Trim at a garage the weekend. It's brilliant, says uh, Joe in Trim today uh, in the town. And I've been there a few times with people queuing the two metres apart as they have staff outside looking after the customers, says Joe. Just he wants to make that point about the ice cream sales in Trim. Now, we're moving on on late lunch this afternoon and we have him back with us. We're delighted to say for another year. He's the man who knows all about motors and I want to say hello to him first and we have another guest for you today. I'll come to him in a moment. Tony Conlon, Happy New Year. And happy returns, Jerry. How are you? I'm good and thanks for joining us again on the show. Tony, you have the latest in sales just to give to listeners first in Louth and Mead. Are these year-end sales at the end of 20? Year-end sales, year-end sales. The whole market is down 25%, okay? And the likes of Mead, Mead, Mead is down 14.34%. At, you know, hanging in there. Dublin, for another example, is down 34.29%. Loud is down 20%. Uh, we're down about 531 vehicles in comparison to last year. Mead, 472 vehicles, meaning, meaning cars, comparisons last year. And the likes of Cavan is down again 14.31%. They're down only 167 vehicles. So <clears throat> that's the way it's been looking, Jerry. A little bit of an increase in electric cars from 3444 to uh, 4013, which is about, let's say, nearly 600. Mm. Diesel is still the best seller. Petrol is second. And uh, it, it, it was down the market, but you know, considering everything, considering everything, uh, I said this to you maybe a couple of months ago, the last time we figures out, considering everything, 
you know, you'd like to see a little bit more. 88,000 sales is just about keeping the doors open for many people there, Jerry. Uh, with mm. 117,000 last year. Top selling cars, the uh, brand is Volkswagen, followed by Toyota, Hyundai, Skoda, Ford. And the top selling models was Toyota Corolla, with Tucson, Volkswagen, Tiguan, Ford Focus, and Hyundai Corner. Top selling car was the Corolla. And maybe for the year that was in it, the top selling car colour was grey. There you go. It matched the uh, the mood of the nation. But Tony, you're right in what you say. It is down, but given the pandemic, the closure of dealerships, the uh, economic impact on people money-wise, and, you know, less people commuting as well, Tony, less cars on the road, it's yeah, probably yeah, yeah. a reasonable figure. Well, it is. And I, I, again, I'm kind of repeating myself here, repeating myself, but God help us, we had a recession not too many years ago. And I think the motor trade learned an awful lot about that. It was like going out and playing, you know, you say, there's nothing like a good, big, tough football game before you go to a final or a semi-final or something. It was like the motor trade had practice in the past from from trying to survive. Now, look, they've, they've, they've done it. And with the health mighty God, they'll do it this year and be a lot brighter as, as things improve. And uh, I believe I, I believe there's great interest, like even online there's great interest in cars. Mm. And, and like... Hopefully, hopefully that all holds up, Jerry. You know, because I think they're great yes. people, and they, we keep saying it, Jerry. The employment the motor trade gives is phenomenal. Yeah, it certainly is, Tony. Okay, so look, you you touched on electric there, so let's talk electric now for the next while on the show because we're joined by Paul Linders from the Linders Motor Group, and he's going to talk to us about electric for sure. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jerry, and hi, Tony. How are you? All right, all right, lovely, Paul. Thank you. Now, Paul, you are going to talk to us today about the MG range. And, Paul, may I say to you first, I just smile when I think of MGBGT. I think most people would, wouldn't they? Well, let you know what I was thinking about. I was slagging my uncle earlier because we're still a family business, uh, Jerry. We've been around since 1938 when my granddad started it. And I remember as a boy, and unfortunately I'm, I'm long past that now, but my uncle back when he was cool used to drive a little MGB, a white one that we still have, would you believe? Uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure anybody's back is up to it anymore, but he used to spin me around in that when I was maybe 12 or 13. I used to think it was the, the absolute business. Oh, you'd want a hell of a frame on you to survive the shaking at times when you're so low to the ground <laughs> and suspension. Was, was there such a thing? <laughs> oh, it was a great car. Tony, a, a classic, one that everybody loved. Ah, there's no doubt all about it. But remember, MG did make big cars too. I think the Magnet was another big one there. And, and then, of course, the Little Midgets. did some fantastic names on cars. And, you know, while well, they have the new ZS and HS, I, I'm wondering, like, does Paul know, like, and I'm missing the boat here, meaning, or kind of catch up, why not have a small electric sports car? Well, I, I don't know. You, you guys probably aren't the Google nerds that I am. But, but if you do any Googling, you'll see what MG have planned coming forward uh, uh, or going forward, rather. And it's pretty impressive looking. If you look at what they would have done, uh, and you guys will remember, too, MG were probably the first to make sports cars affordable way back when. That's and right. I think what, what they're trying to do now in their comeback is to make electric vehicles affordable. Because uh, you mentioned there, Tony, the growth year on year, and we're certainly seeing it on the ground. Both electric and plug-in hybrid electric have grown quite considerably for us. Um, and MG have now come out with these very different cars, Jerry, than what we were talking about. They, they, they bear almost no resemblance except for the logo and the badge. 
But nowadays, they've come out with, with an electric Jeep that has an amazing price premium is what they're trying to do on the rest of the market. So, so whereas electric cars are almost commonplace in everybody's consideration these days, the price of them sometimes prohibits people from maybe making the jump that they wanted to. And MG's market positioning is based on bridging that gap and, and making it incredibly easy. So, so rather, I won't prostitute myself on air, but people can check it out themselves. That, that's their whole modus operandi because they're being built by a company called SAIC, who I think now are, are maybe the 50th biggest company in the world. They're, they're a manufacturer in China, and they're certainly fifth or sixth largest in making um, cars and vans. So they just have an, an economic advantage in that they don't need to put that significant price premium on an electric car to make it marketable for them or, afford, or economic for them. Mm. And MG have come out with, what will be, it's two cars currently, it'll be three cars by the end of this month, or at least I hope it will work entirely sure what's going on in the motor business at the moment because obviously it changes there. Uh, yes, yes. But let's talk about these two models that uh, uh, you're referring to there, the MG ZS EV. And certainly when I look at the price of it, of that car, it is well below, you know, the premium that would have to be paid elsewhere. Now, tell us about this car. It's a, a, a compact SUV crossover. Yeah, so it's, it's, if people can imagine, you know, a family-sized Jeep, it's a tiny bit smaller than a Qashqai, for instance, which is generally what we use to conjure in people's minds. Um, and whereas probably the Nissan Leaf is the electric car people will first think of, or maybe these days Hyundai Kone or, or the Kia Niro, this car is the Jeep that people want because the market wants to buy SUVs at the moment. It's family-sized, and if you consider, you know, anybody looking at these, it's families that are, are looking to buy electric cars. Um, but but it's, it's eight or ten grand cheaper than what the rest of the market is asking for the same car. Now, mm. it, it, it comes in, there's two different types. The specs, you know, it's got all the bells and whistles, as you would imagine electric cars to have these days. It comes in, in a very... Um, uh, a very impressive range of colors, but, but, but not too many. It comes with a seven-year warranty, which uh, a lot of people were finding coming into the showroom or, or when they could come into the showroom were buying an electric car, considering buying an electric car for the very first time. So it, it's quite a significant leap of faith for some people. Um, and the, the real question is, how much are they going to save on fuel and, and how are they going to charge it? Now, to be fair, there's quite a few. I think there's nearly 3,500 charge points throughout the country at the moment. But with this car at the minute, not only do you get the price premium, you also get a free home charger. So there's a range on the ZS, which is the key question we get asked. The range is 263 kilometers on a single charge. Or if you're in the city, it uses what's called regenerative braking that can extend that range upwards of 370. But, but the bottom line is, if you have a home charger and you charge it for six hours every evening, you'll wake up the following morning with 260 kilometres worth of drive. Which is really good, and that's improving all the time. And then the hybrid, the MGHS plug-in hybrid, that gives you the best of both worlds. Well, that gives you a fully electric or exclusively electric range of 52 kilometres, which yeah. uh, I think it was the SEI did the last survey. So the average daily nationwide commute to and from work uh, when people used to do it was 50 kilometers. So, mm. uh, but outside of that, obviously, range anxiety still remains the concern for some people. Um, it, it, there's a seamless transition. Once you've, if you've used up the 52 kilometers of range that's there, uh, there's a seamless transition into a 1.5 litre petrol engine that will obviously take you the rest of the way.
Okay, so you have that reassurance there. It's exactly the same way, Jerry. So you plug it in when you get home, yeah. you wake back up, and you've got, uh, you've got another 52 kilometres there to drive, purely electric. Tony, you're quiet there. What have you to I ask am, Paul I, or say to him? No, I, I, think, I think Paul is after hitting a lot of the nails on the head, so to speak. But the most important thing there is after saying, because we are a generation, and maybe maybe speak for other people, but I remember the MGs very well. I remember the MG 1300, whatever, which is based on the, the Morris 1100, whatever. Of course, MG is Morris garages. And what, what, to come to the point here is, the most important thing, I think, very important thing that Paul has said there is there's many, many persons listening this afternoon and say, yes, they look beautiful, the beautiful grills, beautiful shape, but they were not reliable years ago. And the whole thing that's changed now that Paul has said is the seven-year seven warranty. And I suppose they were just like British cars, like Red Rover years ago in the, in the British car industry or whatever else. They, they didn't have the reliability. And we will need confidence, and that seven-year warranty will give confidence. I know the, I know the designs of Maribone, Maribone in London is a beautiful address, and they're made in China, which is extremely important, because we know they're building good cars over there presently. Okay, and, and that seven-year reassurance is a very, very important thing. Paul, if people want to check out uh, your range of MG, and there's another new one coming, as you said, on the way as well, and uh, the price points are very attractive indeed, how do they find out more about Linders? Well, you can go on linders.ie, and then it's very obvious from there. You click through to our MG section on the website, and we have a host of you know, information, pictures, and obviously videos. We're, we're operating exclusively remotely from a sales perspective now and delivering to people. Um, but you know what? I, I think a lot of the people that are looking at the MG range, to be honest, w- w- when we first took on the franchise, I thought most people would be kind of 30 to 40-year-olds. Actually, what we found is it's much more 50-plus, uh, mm-hmm. but they would be the more tech-savvy end of, of that uh, that generation of people. So what we're finding is they're still picking up the phone and we're sending them we're sending them videos that are done. And then we're in a position, we're delivering vehicles out to them wherever they are. And actually, particularly with MG, because we are essentially the dealer for um, Dublin, Louth, Meath, Kildare, etc. So we're, we're, we're putting some miles up on the cars, I'm glad to say. It, it's been a huge success for us so far. That's good to hear. Sorry, it's worth saying the proof in the pudding, too, is it's the best-selling vehicle um, for the last two years in the UK uh, in terms of uh, its year-on-year growth for market share. And it's launched just last year in the kind of Benelux regions, where similarly it's the the fastest-growing brand in in Northern Europe. So people are buying the message. Yes. Uh, Paul, I'm going to let you go and thank you for joining us on the show and wish you well in the year ahead to you and everybody else in the motor trade. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Tony, before you leave me, um, just a quick one. Um, Norway uh, are now saying that within the next couple of years, they will almost entirely have turned uh, their motor fleet in the country to electric or hybrid at least. So a country, and they are a big oil-producing, as you know, nation, uh, but they've yes. gone in this direction. It's encouragement, isn't it, for others? Uh, yeah, but the whole, it is, of course, but the whole Scandinavian thing is, is huge. Like, Sweden is the very exact same, Jerry. Like, the, the subsidising taxis out there, like, you, you will find Telsa taxis plentiful out there. So like, there, is, there are being helped and being subsidised, and it is very interesting in these countries where electricity can be generated at a cost. Of course, we're talking all year about there's not a manufacturer out there that has not and is not 
being represented in this. And the whole interesting thing is, I think Paul Lindner just hit the nail on the head again, to use the same phraseology, is price. Price. Mm. Like 28k starting thereabouts is not bad at all for an SUV, you know. And the, and the warranty, that is very interesting. And though I haven't driven it yet, and we will have a little nitpick out with the help of God down the road in 2021, so we wait and see. Tony, we will indeed. Thank you so much for joining us again for our first motoring feature of the year, and we'll be talking again soon, Tony. Take care. Very, very welcome, Jerry. Bye-bye. That's uh, Tony Conlon there, our motoring man on late lunch. Yes, it's a good price, that car. It really is, and and, and all it's offering. But uh, I remember a guy called Owen Kirk. His mother used to have a shop in Drogheda. Originally from Dundalk, the Kirks. Anyone remember Owen Kirk? He was a great badminton player, Owen. And last I heard of him, he took up the fishing and he was in the west of Ireland as well. But Owen, uh, I played badminton with him. He was a hell of a player. And uh, Owen had an MGB. GT. I remember going, I don't know where he we went, to a badminton tournament or competition in the car. Oh my God, it was some sensation. You were right down on the ground, no suspension. You could have been injured before you got to the badminton court. But I always remember Owen and the MGB GT. It brings back fond memories. It makes me smile. Late lunch, LMFM Radio, back in a moment. We were chatting with Jackie Jolliffe from the Crafty Fox yesterday on Late Lunch. And we had lots of people getting in touch, talking about their knitting, crocheting. It really is back and we had a contact from a great LMFM listener Marie Marr and she's on the line Hello Marie. Hi Jerry. how are you? I'm good, you were on to us yesterday when uh, round about we were talking to Jackie and you, you were actually, were you knitting at the time? I was yes and I still am <laughs> <laughs> You're still at it there are you today? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a what are you doing? Time, nothing else to do unfortunately can't. What, what are you doing weather. Marie? I'm just knitting um, an Aaron for my little eldest of Anne-Marie's grandsons. I, the three of them will have one now for St. Patrick's Day. I do them every year for, you know, as they grow older. I yes. I've been doing them for years. Mm. You know, we don't have, I think I've done my first ones when Bobby got to Jackie and I were going on a honeymoon. I knitted one each for us for our honeymoon. Yes. You so know. you've been at this a long, long time. Who taught you to knit first? Sister Oliver in the presentation conference in Fair Street. That's where it began. And did you take to it straight away? Was it something you were interested in? And, and I you always loved right... knitting, yes. Yeah, I love the knitting and crocheting and embroidery. You know, I do, I've do. done um, all my grandchildren's um, christening robes, not robes, the, what do I call it, that they put around them, you know, a nice... Uh, the christening shawls. Shawls. For, and yes. it has passed down for the ten grandchildren. They've all used it. And it went from one to the, the other, other to the next. With, with oh. the crown that my mother bought for my eldest boy 55 years ago. Isn't that tradition? And it's lovely really to have, is. you know. Yeah, it really is. And 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 Marie, would it be something just to, like to get a feel for this for myself? Is it something you do every day, or is it more at this time of the year hobby or a lockdown thing, or do you do it at any time? I just do it at any time when I need to do it, you yeah. know. Or if I need to do um, pram covers, if some of them are going to have a baby, I do a pram cover or something like that for them. I like to have something on the needles all the time mm. that I can turn to, you know, because. I don't do as much as I used to because I have carpet tunnel syndrome in my hands and it's affecting me knitting quite a bit. Right. You know, but it's nice to be able to do it and it's nice to be able to pass on the, try and pass it on to generations. 
have a little grandson of eight who wants to knit and he has his needles on his tray. <laughs> <laughs> you know, looking. But it's good for them to know. I think not yes. only the girls should be knitting, the boys should be knitting. I had a great old... My mother had an uncle in the army in Edinburgh and he was in the army there and he was a fantastic knitter. Knitted right. all his own jumpers and everything. There you go. Well, listen, it is for the girls and the boys. That is for sure. Well, look, at. I just wanted to say hello to you today. Wish you a happy new year and say to you, keep on doing what you're doing because it is such a creative and wonderful skill and pass it on if you can. I think this next song is for you, Marie, because you're telling me about the syndrome in your hands there that it affects you. Well, this song, I'll dedicate it to you. They may be slow, but they're so productive. (laughs) It's Niall Horan and Slow Hands. Take care, Marie. Bye. 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 Niall Horan and Slow Hands on Late Lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Thanks indeed for all your comments and entries for the Johnny Cash album. We'll pick a winner after three. Just read this one to you before we head to news, weather and sport. Hi, Jerry. The local garage that you mentioned earlier in the show that opened the ice cream kiosk also serves hot takeaway chocolate and coffees the same local garage that did an excellent drive through uh, with social distancing and donated free goodies for the children at Halloween I understand it is a severe time for all of us but people complaining and exaggerating about a local family trying to keep their heads above above water and their staff employed is uh, definitely uh, something I wouldn't agree with and I think they've, I believe it says they've adhered to the uh, safety guidelines. If you've nothing nice to say at all, you're better keeping it to yourself, says Christine in Trim this afternoon. If you're any more to say on that, give us a shout. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text to the show. Now, still to come on late lunch this afternoon. Yes, we'll uh, pick a winner for the Johnny Cash album from Classified Records. I have a classic from David Bowie, my featured artist of the week. And we're going to find out after three what life is like in lockdown for Nancy Stewart, who's 107. That Johnny Cash song, the title, A Boy Named Sue. Yeah, it was ahead of its time, wasn't it? That song, it really was. That was the uh, name I was looking for, Sue, because Neil Waters from Classified Records in Dundalk, the only independent record shop in the Northeast. Online now, by the way, we've had a number of people on to us. Will you give out that online address for Neil again, please? It's classifiedrecords.net. That's classifiedrecords.net. You can go on there. It's a wonderful website. Put a lot of time and effort into developing it, as you heard this year, and it's been well worth it. But you can go on there and order your vinyl from Neil. Anyway, thank you to everybody who got Sue correct. And uh, we have from Neil a lovely prize. It's Johnny Cash with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra on vinyl. It's a new release late last year. The magic they can work these days from the past to the present. And uh, that album is going to Martina McMahon in Mornington today. We'll be in touch and we'll organise that album. Wings its way to you. Enjoy playing it. Now, we were talking about Anglias, Ford Anglias, Nicky Smith from Smiths of Drogheda yesterday on the show. And a man was mentioned, and I mentioned his name, Sean White from Galroostown in County Louth as being an Anglia owner. And Sean has been in touch with me. He is indeed or was the owner of a beautiful Anglia, but he sold it 
a year ago because of his deteriorating health. Now, he's he's doing well at the moment, he says to me, uh, but he just can't come on the show to talk to me. And I understand why, Sean. I fully understand. But thank you for getting in touch with me and letting us know. And we wish you health over the coming weeks and months in the year ahead. And I'm sure you have great memories of that wonderful Anglia that you just parted with. I'm sure it was tough parting with it a, a year ago. Jerry, where was that Kirk shop you mentioned on George Street in Drawd? I'm a local and I'm a fair age and I'm curious now, Suzanne. Well, I'll tell you where it was. If you know what the Roma takeaway, it's the old uh, Dundalk Drawd at Dublin and Dock Drogheda Road into the heart of Drogheda there as you come into town and you come down the hill, down the North Road, down George Street and at the end of George Street when you come to the lights, the Rome is on your left there, the takeaway and um, it was just round the corner from the Roma. I think there's an orthodontic business in the premises now. Yes, there is. There's an orthodontist there at the moment but that was Kirk's shop where Owen Kirk came from. It was indeed. I can remember it well. Um and Marie Richardson was on to say, oh, Jerry, thanks so much for playing a thing called Love by Johnny Cash. It's one cracking song. It certainly is. And from one cracking song to another, because it's time for my featured artist of the week. And it is David Bowie. David Robert Jones, to be precise. And did you know he lived in Brixton in his early life and his paternal grandparents, Bowie's paternal grandparents, were Irish. And I was looking at his career, his first band, he was only 15 when he formed the Conrads in 1962. Then he went on to join the King Bees, the Manish Boys, the Lower Third and finally the Buzz before he decided in the late 60s to go his own way. And he called himself Davy Jones and then he realised there was a Davy Jones with the monkeys and there was too much confusion so we had to change the name and Bowie he arrived on, David Bowie. And in 1967, he set out on a solo career. And I'm going back to a song from the album Hunky Dory 71. It's a brilliant Bowie song. Have a listen. Yeah, David Bowie. And oh, you pretty things on late lunch this afternoon. Going back to 1971 from the album Hunky Dory. And the song, the story of that song is that it was about the obsolescence of mankind in favour of an alliance between aliens arriving from another planet and the youth of society of the day. It was a real big hit in the glam rock era. And our Eamon, Eamon Doyle, sent me a very interesting uh, wee clip of Bowie last evening. And it really does touch a nerve or it rings so true at this time. Bowie was being interviewed on Newsnight in 1999. Now think about this folks, 1999 over 20 years ago uh, by Jeremy Paxman and he was talking about the internet and the launch of the internet and where it would go. You should look at it, Google it, it's there. Jeremy Paxman and David Bowie 1999 and he put, he, he could foresee what has happened, especially in the context of the way Trump has acquired, what, 80 million followers on Twitter? Well, he's no longer there. And the way he's influenced that massive block of people. And Bowie predicted this, that it would be the greatest and worst thing in mankind's history. Check it out. Newsnight, 1999, David Bowie and Jeremy Paxman. You'll, you'll have shivers down your spine because... 
Bowie could see it. He was a visionary. That is for sure. Late lunch, LMFM radio and our final break of this Tuesday afternoon as uh, the weather dulls outside. More rain on the way. Anyway, we are going to have a chat next with a young woman I've spoken to on late lunch on a number of occasions in the past. Her name is Louise Coughlin. But you see, Louise has a very, very special granny. Yes, she's the granddaughter of Nancy Stewart. She's the oldest independently living woman in Ireland. And we're going to talk to Louise next. Alert, alert, alert. Listen up. Daniel O'Donnell has just issued a warning to his social media followers about an imposter who asked a fan to pose in nothing but a tea cosy. We know Daniel loves the tea, but come on. Yes, Daniel took to social media because there is a fake Daniel O'Donnell social media account run by someone who's asking fans to send them explicit photographs. (sighs) Don't go there. Don't go there. Yeah, the tea cosy and Daniel is synonymous, but not for covering up your private bits. Keeping the whole tea warm when you're having a cup and a nather with somebody. Come on. Anyway, beware. Daniel's just after posting that in the last few minutes there. So we just picked up on it. We said we'd warn you because there's lots of Daniel O'Donnell fans in LMFM land. We do know that. Now, uh, I have spoken on a number of occasions in recent years to Nancy Stewart. Nancy was born in 1913. She is 107 and she lives independently in County Meath. And one young woman who loves her to bits, who looks after her every single day. And I know she's the apple of Nancy's eye is on the line. Louise Coughlin, hello again. Uh, Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Just wanted to touch base with you today and check in uh, with indirectly with, with Nancy. How is she, Louise? She's She's very good, Jerry. Thank God. Um, she's keeping well. And uh, on this new venture of our virtual mass tour, it has brought a whole new aspect to Connie Nancy uh, because I can see the happiness is back in her. She, was, she wasn't well before Christmas, Jerry. So she, she was sick for three to four weeks, really, into Christmas and through Christmas. So very, very grateful, very, very lucky to have her in 2021. And thank God, she's like the miracle that just, keeps given because she was very sick before Christmas and then she rose from like a phoenix from the ashes does Nancy Stewart, Stewart rise I'd be hanging off the cliff edge you know for quite a while after <laughs> from the trauma and I always say you know she kind of goes over the edge a few times you know when she gets very sick and I'd be looking down going come back to me granny please come back come back and I needed to be you know in my mind talking to her in that way and the next minute she just flies up by me and is like she wasn't even sick you know she just says God, I don't even remember being sick. I'd, I'd be dramatised after her, but it's great that we have her. And she's heading to yeah. 108 this year, Jerry. Sure, it's unbelievable. It's incredible. It really is. And she's hale and hearty. We knew she was a little under the weather, and that's why we wanted to check in with you. It's a more worrying time, though, on a serious note than ever, because uh, the vulnerability at an age is yeah. really severe at this. You know that. I don't have to tell you that. Is it becoming, you know, and she is, I want to say again, she mm-hmm. lives independently at home still with assistance yeah. from family and friends and others. Is it more challenging? Sure, it has to be at this time as regards, you know, keeping everything safe and sound for her. It is, Jerry, And, you know, that's something that has been highlighted, I think, for all of us since last March. Anyone that is vulnerable around you. And maybe the thing we've learned is that we're all vulnerable with COVID because we really don't know who it would pick on if it got its chance. But particularly the elderly and particularly Granny, like I'm here with Granny since last March and in a very intense way. But like I, it, it is 
stressful. I have to be honest. Your shoulders are clenched up always, no matter how you know, content or grateful we are to be well. It is hard to not, you know, you can't lose sight of the fear that COVID is out there. You know, we, especially when you're living with someone vulnerable, like I go nowhere. I just go shopping at eight o'clock on a Friday morning and that's it. I've been completely restricted on, on any sort of movements of any kind, even when the lockdown was lifted, you know. So that has been personally um, a tough one for me. But I, I've got through it. Like Granny, I've pushed through it and I really believe one thing that has brought me through is mindset. You know, you have to tell yourself it will be worth it if you can just, you know, hold yourself together just to keep stepping forward to, to clear the decks of this very bad stage we're in now. But it's very worrying and it's hard because you're clearing in an environment that you no longer can call and loads of people to come and help you either, you know. It's not as if you can mm. call out for help and say, can you come in here and retrieve me? You kind of have to put your head down and keep going, you know. I know why you're the apple of our eye when you uh, tell us that you've been right by our side all this time. But for herself, I, I know she's very aware of, of, of things happening around her. She, she, I take it she misses uh, seeing the different faces calling. Oh, Jerry, unbelievably so. Yeah. And the thing is, we're very lucky that we've the carers come in to, to relieve me and a great family that support Granny living here. And but the thing is, Granny is a woman of the people. You know, this house you wouldn't have got a, a seat inside it pre-COVID. You know, even family mm. or not, family and friends are all the same things. Granny, so it was a place like a train station. You kind of fought for your seat and you held on to it if you got it. And but so through COVID, it's definitely something I've become better at noticing when she goes quiet on me. There are that, that is her loneliness coming through because she craves the return of her extended family and her extended friends who can no longer just come in and have tea and chat. So for sure. And I suppose that's the thing I've noticed is I have to watch out for that with Granny because that's when she actually goes down. Like coming up to Christmas there, that was the loneliness Christmas that got her, that brought mm. her to, to, to sickness because we've gone in and out of sickness over this last year really quite frequently. But it's always, I nearly can put my hand on heart and say it, it's her missing you know, her family and her friends in a capacity that you can really enjoy them, you know. So, yeah, loneliness is a really tricky one. But that's my aim, aim is to really kind of combat that with entertainment and mess and, and busyness. You know, last year we did an awful lot of bacon like everybody else. Gold, soda bread, white bread, or anything I could think of with her into the stove. And then we went on to handwriting, you know, we did a bit of practice. And then I did an awful lot of Facebook she loves Facebook and she loves that interaction of saying prayers online. So when I set up, I set up a Facebook page, Living and Laughing with Lou. But what was funny is I should have probably called it Living and Laughing with Lou and Granny Nancy. But sure, I didn't realize it was going to be as interactive with Granny involved. But this year, you know, it's a different game, isn't it, after Christmas? Because we all yeah. thought we might be on the, you know, on a better stage. But we seem to have retreated in some way. We have, and it just takes a little more knuckling down. But I know she has yeah. that twinkle in her eye. And folks, check that out on Facebook. It really is so entertaining. Living and laughing with Lou. And you'll have Louise and Nancy there to share the fun with them as well. Listen, you're going great guns. Will you wish her well from everybody in LMFM Radio and tell her that we're thinking of her and looking forward to number one. Hundred and eight. When you think of what she's lived through in our lifetime, it's just incredible. Anyway, Louise, we leave it there today. All the best to you, and we will be talking down the road. And thanks so much, Jerry, for all your support. And you keep us going. You know, the radio is there in the background. Thank God, never left us. And you're great company for one and all. And you mind yourself and, and all at LMFM as well. And thanks so much.
Thank you, Louise. Appreciate it. God bless you. Take care now. That's uh, Louise Coughlin there, granddaughter of Nancy Stewart, 107 years young. That's a lot on late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. On tomorrow's show, we meet a woman who's passionate about vintage clothing and a man, yes, talking about Nancy, this man in me hasn't left his home. He hasn't been over the front door since March of last year and we're talking to him tomorrow on the show. Thanks to Eamon Doyle. Thanks to Louise Walsh. Thank you for tuning in today. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with some great music on the drive. See you tomorrow. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and delivery only through our website blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.